I'm Christy Bourne. And I'm Rainier Wild. Together, we're investigating the mysteries of love and relating. We get gritty and dig deep into why love is the tie that binds us together. And also drives us to our knees. This is our story. This is your story. This is Love Like Hell. Well, hey, Christy. Hey. Okay. Um, I've got a confession to make. I'm not sure if I'm up for it. <laughs> it's not that kind of confession, though. Okay. It, I think you can, you can handle this. All right. Okay. I think I'm ready, but usually it comes with some, you know, my tummy kind of flutters when you have something to say like that. <laughs> right. At this stage, any of those we've got to talk moments sets off alarm bells, doesn't it? Absolutely. I'm not into surprises as I once was. Yeah, no, I get that. But this isn't a huge surprise. See, here's the deal. I'm just not feeling well. That's my confession. Like emotionally, physically. I mean, there's lots of ways to not feel well. Yeah, um, no, I'm just stuffy, achy. I kind of feel gross. Is there more to the story? I mean, that seems pretty, pretty normal to feel kind of yucky. No, it's, that's it. That's the whole story. But it also makes sense, right? Because we've been trying to record this section of the podcast and starting over like a handful of times. And one of the reasons why I think that, you know, I'm maybe just not getting it is because I'm not feeling super great. Hmm. So why are we talking about this? Is this just something you want me to know or be careful around or... Can I help you? Well, not everything needs to be fixed, right? That's one thing. Sometimes things are informational and maybe this is what that is. But it's also kind of a thing, right? As we talk about why things happen and why we do what we do, one of the key understandings here is the context, our vulnerability factors. Okay, so I know vulnerability factors and you do. What does that even mean? Yeah. Well, so for one thing, I really am not feeling great. I mean, that's, that's not a setup. This isn't staged. I, I really don't feel great right now. But it does lead us into this other conversation that I kind of did want to have as we look back at how some of these things occur in our life. And, you know, when we talk about who killed the marriage or when we talk about something like a breach of trust or infidelity or or even something like an argument we tend to become fixated on that event here's what happened but part of what a vulnerability factor is is a larger set of questions what were the conditions that could have created the need for that moment. The context is what comes to my mind as you're talking, the things around us, our environment, how we feel in our body, in our mind, in our relationships. Um, for instance, in this moment, for you not feeling well, I might have more compassion, more patience, more understanding. If it's more difficult for you to show up, had I not known that, I could be annoyed. I could think your mind was elsewhere. And so it does help fill in the blanks if we know the context and the situation of what's going on around us. 
it also helps adjust reasonable expectations on both our parts. For instance, on my part, if I know where my outer limits are, where my edges are in any given moment, hopefully I'm better equipped to ask for what I need because I know what I need. I'm also better equipped to not necessarily do too much if I know I'm low. And I think one of the problems is we so rarely identify these things within us and we don't know how to talk about them. So we're at the school playground and I have all four kids in tow, ranging from our oldest being seven and our youngest is one. And we're playing and all of a sudden, our youngest son starts shaking. He's hot, he's feverish, and his body won't stop moving. And you know what? We have another son who has seizures. So I know what to do. I try to cool him down. I try to lay him flat. He can't talk. So it's all on me to be able to figure out what to do. And we're with another family and everyone's huddled around us. And I honestly can't remember. I pick up the phone. Someone picks up the phone. It's a blur. And you, you're on your way to the playground to pick us up, to drive us immediately to the hospital. I get the call at work. I hear your voice, a few words blurred out. The scene is all too familiar. It's happened before. It keeps happening. What the hell is wrong? Won't it stop? I get into the car, I race towards you. And all I can think about is the unrelentingness of life. I had just come from clients whose lives were hard, racking my own mind to try and figure out how to interact with addictions and abuses and self-destructive behaviors. And now I have to shift all of my attention to this next situation, the one that really concerns me, the one that actually holds my heart. And then it occurs to me, I don't have time to be weak. I don't have time to think about how these things impact me. I just have to be strong for you. I can't let myself fall apart. Those moments where you're overrun with emotion, when there's a situation, an environmental factor like that one, it has such a cost for, for you, for me. And in those moments, it would be really easy to, you know, get upset at one another, to misfire, to argue, to shut down, to turn away. Because fear is on the line. That circumstance overtakes everything. Right. Our sympathetic nervous system kicks in 
we start to shut down a variety of functions and processes in our mind and body to focus on the thing at hand. Um, So much goes out the window and we begin to kind of pigeonhole our vision and only see the most important thing. But what goes out the window? All kinds of things. All kinds of things like well-being, rational processes, and certainly emotions. Those get regulated. Those become, well, stuffed. Yeah, you've heard of fight, flight, freeze. And everyone behaves differently when hit with a crisis that's overwhelming. Um, In that situation, you have known what to do. Our second oldest has really had seizures and you knew what to do. You pulled up in that car. It was like Miami Vice. The doors open, we jump in and you take us to the um, emergency room. And I knew that you knew what to do in that situation. I had watched you, I had participated, so I knew what to do, but I was really counting on that steadiness. So when you talk about having to pull yourself together, I saw that in your eyes. I really did. Yeah, I I remember that moment so well, in part because the events that would begin to play out afterwards were a kind of secondary effect of those moments. It was like, Um, I would begin to give myself permission to fall apart because I needed to be put together. Now, I don't know if I consciously understood that's what I was doing, but I think that when I understand the context of some of those later behaviors that would ultimately lead to infidelity, one of the things that I understand was happening was feeling overwhelmed by life in that moment. There was a lot going in to those moments. And I think you know, as young parents, you know, we had talked to someone recently about when infidelity happens, it's often those early stages of familyhood. Now, not always for everyone, but when circumstances become overwhelming and you become disconnected, um, it's really easy for those places to occur, to have hiddenness, to have needs that aren't spoken about. And you and I, we were blending our families together feeling all the responsibility and the weight of those places. And in those moments, we really were counting on each other to be strong. And I see that today. We weren't talking about it. We were just performing. And I think that's why being open to conversations about the vulnerabilities in our lives are so important but being vulnerable, that's risky. Yeah, I'm, I'm reflecting on the other night, just last night, actually. Uh, we're in the jacuzzi. Uh, we're looking up at the stars. And I began to describe a real-time series of thoughts I had been having about the inadequacy of parenthood. I felt inadequate. I felt overwhelmed by one of our children's decisions. I didn't know what to do. It made me think about my own childhood. It brought up all kinds of things. And then after that conversation, I kind of got to thinking about how far we've come. That I'm not sure I would have had that conversation with you years ago. 
I've learned to entrust myself and the thoughts and the contents, the vulnerabilities of my life. But at that moment that we're, we're talking about right now, I didn't know that. I didn't know how to say my world is falling apart. You know, this is, this is one of the things that when I work with individuals is so apparent to me that we almost create an opposite effect for how we really feel. So I really felt very, very fragile inside. But the effect I was putting off was one of complete solidness, complete having it together. I felt anything but that. It's so sad to think that we always have to have it together. I look at that situation And yeah, I want to have it together. I want to look like I have it together. I want you to have it together. And that's often the expectation of relationship, or it seems like it. And to show anything but that, that vulnerability, um, it doesn't seem like a strength. And um, it's a facade, though. If we could just scratch underneath that facade and say what's really going on. In those moments, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Uh, my heart's racing. I'm panicked that he's not okay. I'm thinking about the other children we left behind with everybody, with our friends there. I'm totally overwhelmed. That's what's really going on. I'm afraid we'll lose him. And I think I don't say any of that. Yeah, we conceal the contents of our life, hoping this kind of blind hope, this blind optimism that it's going to work out, right? I can just wait here on the bench long enough and I will in fact feel better. You know, I'll fake it till I make it. If I put on the facade that I have it together, that I am strong and reasonably reassured about getting through this, well, of course, I'll eventually catch up to myself. I'll surely slide into feeling that way. It rarely happens like that. This is an emotional vulnerability factor, right? And this is a lot harder to tease out because a lot of times we just don't know what what we're not equipped to look at. A lot of us are very unskilled in having the language to even talk about our emotions. I think about the Inuits and having, you know, I think, what is it, like 150 different words for snow in their lexicon. They can describe so many more things for snow, which is the environment they are very familiar with than I can. I've got like four words. Now, that ability gives them so much more access, if you think about it, to know their surroundings, to be able to articulate it to others and to be able to draft one another into assisting. I think the same is true for emotional uh, intelligence that when I have access to a greater set of descriptions of what's going on, I can reasonably engage you with those things. If I've only got four words, you know, uh, mad, sad, happy, you know, uh, my, my ability to communicate those things is pretty small. And the likelihood that I'll try to communicate it is even smaller. What's fascinating about this situation, looking back, I was like an expert in emotions, right? (laughs) Like. I was a psychotherapist at the time, helping other people go through their own. This is one of like the great jokes, you know, to me, which is, again, so oftentimes the people who are healers are the people who went into the healing industry 
to try and heal themselves. Like if I just get a degree in psychology, surely I'll figure it all out and I'll feel better. Again, that's just me putting on that facade in that moment. I'm so guilty of that. I'm so guilty of, I think really, you know, I'm in the helping field being drawn to that because of being really locked out of those places. So yeah, those big emotions, the things I was feeling, I have so much compassion for people because it's taken me such a long time to identify emotions and how they connect to thoughts and behaviors and experiences. So even in that situation, today I have those words and those feelings, but then I don't know. I really was not very good at that. So of course here we're, we're already talking about one of the difficulties in even being able to get to these vulnerability factors. And, and that first word, vulnerability, is one of the difficulties straight out of the gate. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to be authentic with someone, even your most intimate life partners. How can I be authentic with you? If I say this, it might mean that it's true. If I say I feel fragile, it might mean that I am fragile. And then it might mean that I can't, in fact, handle this situation. Better to pretend. Better to regulate. Better to just get through it. So the first step in, I think, acknowledging vulnerability factors is saying, well, it takes vulnerability. You really have to actually step into those places that are uncomfortable. I want to I point out something here, which is maybe something that was obvious, but but not explicit. A vulnerability factor itself simply makes us more vulnerable to having larger unwanted emotions and sets us up for a crisis, right? That, that's what these do. They, they make us more prone to the very things that we would rather avoid. That's, that's what a vulnerability factor does. So having a series of emotions that I'm not talking about creates a situation where other emotions may dogpile on me. And it creates a domino effect down the line. Vulnerability factors are those things. Um, so if we don't get good sleep, it's our physical body. If we're ill, if we don't feel good, if we don't sleep well, that impacts us. Our diet, right? That impacts us. Our relationships, if those are going well or not going well. Our home life, what is that like? Drug and alcohol use, those are vulnerability factors. So there's so many things around us that impact the way that way we behave and respond to others. They're all the time happening. And if we don't know, right, how those things impact us, who wakes up in the morning after a really crappy sleep and has a great response? I mean, that's a really easy way to say that's a vulnerability factor. Who, when they're feeling sick, right, is leading the charge? Not to very many people, right? Who, when they're in conflict with their spouse or partner or children, right, are starting their day off on the right foot. So there's lots of ways that vulnerability factors sneak up and we don't even know. Yeah, it, you know, so if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling neglected, if you're feeling a deficit in any number of areas, whether it's your physical body or your emotional and mental body, your spiritual body, what happens is it sets you up for a crisis. It kind of edges you closer and closer to that ledge. Oftentimes, if there's addictive behavior or cycles there or ways of gratifying and meeting, meeting that sense of feeling powerful, those things become the access points, right? I try and reduce that stress by using these skills. 
And a lot of times those skills are effective, even if they're negative. We learn a lot of highly effective yet highly costly skills very early on. Think of self-harm behavior. Um, this is something that, that, you know, we don't talk about a lot, but almost all behavior like self-harm has some kind of effectiveness to it, right? It might temporarily reduce um, the stress I'm feeling. It might help me become distracted in the moment from the pain I'm feeling. It might, it might even help lower my blood pressure. It might do all kinds of things physically in my response. But here's the reality. While it certainly may have some benefits, it has unintended and usually much longer lasting negative effects. This might be things like alcoholism or prolonged drug use, as well as things like sexually addictive behaviors. Yeah, this situation for for you and I, it kind of exacerbated the things that we were already doing. And you talked about this vulnerability factor being, I had to be strong. I had to show up in this way. And, and then I couldn't really present myself as having needs, right? There were so many needs on the table, our family, you, the health of our children. And so I took my needs and went elsewhere. And for me, like, I really had to keep everything together, you know, four kids or home, it's, you know, everything kind of felt um, so heavy. We didn't share those things, but then they kind of went underground and we really started to miss one another because we weren't sharing those vulnerabilities. When almost anyone who um, I work with or you work with or we work with together is talking about the substance of their life and maybe, maybe it's a couple and they've just had a massive fight, just a real whopper. One of the questions I'm always curious about is, well, what else is the subtext for your life? right now? What else are the things that may be conditioning you to have a crisis moment, right? And there are a lot of things. Again, I think you mentioned some of them. Sleep. Well, how have you been sleeping lately? How's your food intake? Have you switched diets lately? Have you been getting exercise? Has your mother-in-law been visiting for any amount of time, right? I mean, these are the, these are the realities that we begin to kind of think about and ask, what are some other ones, maybe some ones that are a little less obvious? Oh, yes. We, our biggest fights in the past have come during my menstrual cycle. And it was wild. I used to get so amped when um, like the comments about like your period and being over emotional. It was really interesting when I took stock of when we got into our big fights. It was during that time. And my vulnerabilities, all the emotions, right? Like flooding to the table. And I would say when I work with couples now, maybe people won't like hearing this. Most big confrontations happen during that time. And I think that we don't um, give a lot of airplay to that because it's been so culturally like mm, poo-pooed on. But there are so many vulnerability factors going on. Well, I think it's not just been poo-pooed on. It's it's actually been used as a weapon, right? That, oh, you're on your period. And it's been used dismissively rather than one as as an object of understanding, right? That, oh, it, it, it makes sense that you're more tender in this moment. It makes sense that you're more um, emotionally sensitive in this moment. I think the second thing that 
I now become curious in our relationship when we have these experiences is, well, if it indeed is sort of making you more tender or sensitive, I now want to ask, well, what's it making you more tender and sensitive to? Because those are usually things that really are there and it brings up to the surface. It makes a little louder. It amplifies the noise around. Yeah, because we have so many defense mechanisms that quiet our thoughts, our emotions, and those experiences. We work hard every day to kind of uh, regulate really hard. And I would say in those thin spaces for women, often those emotions really come to the surface. And so we do have to listen to them. and We do have to be kind to them. I often have so much compassion for people when we hear their story and the context of what's going on. And then we can start to understand ourselves with care versus criticism. And that's such an important element in vulnerability factors. I think that one of the things that occurs to me within all of this is that when you're a young family and when you're raising young kids, you feel profoundly inadequate in your ability to rise to the occasion. You're being overwhelmed by a lot of criteria, data that you probably don't exactly know what to do with. There's no instruction manual. Not really. I mean, most of them that are out there are laborious at best. There aren't too many, you know, certification workshops. And I think we get stuck We get stuck in these places, these roadblocks where we don't know really what to do. And we feel very, very inadequate. I think that's the best word for it. Those are huge vulnerability factors in young couples. You and I were talking just recently about the element of time, how there's not enough time to do it all. Time to invest in each other, time for each one of our kids, time for our family, time for self-development. How much more that is magnified for young families when every need is required of you to pay attention. And then we have to turn towards our partner and show them love, affection, patience, compassion. When we don't feel like we even have a self sometimes. You know, we were talking recently with some friends and it was like, you know, I have to wipe a bum over here, right? I have to help potty train at the same time as I'm supposed to be professionally developing myself and then also caring and being intimate with my partner. And I think couples don't realize at those early points in in time that there's a cost to all of this and we don't often turn towards each other with honesty about where we are at. We just ask for perfection. Why aren't you showing up in this way? And beating ourselves up for what we think is very natural. Man, it is so difficult, these places. And they do often open up for vulnerability. Sometimes we don't feel seen, so we go other places to be seen. We don't feel connected, so we reach out to others. We're just not available oftentimes to express really what's happening inside of us. Yeah, this is one of the really interesting um, scenarios that begins to play out within infidelity specifically is that I don't feel seen. 
and I don't feel like I can show myself. Well, we've now created a real dilemma, haven't we? (laughs) I want them to see me, but I can't show myself. But now I feel unseen. So what do I do? Well, I go elsewhere. I go elsewhere where it's less complicated. Where there's no cost to them seeing me or knowing me. Where I can kind of feel okay. Like I can make it. Like I can get through. And that's not a justification, but I think I look at that scenario, and it was certainly true in my case, and I begin to think, oh, well, I was preventing myself from being vulnerable and getting the results that I actually wanted. I wasn't available to you in that moment to the very thing I wanted. It makes sense. And it happens in other ways too. I might become overly invested in work so I can get accolades and attention and um, affirmation. I might get sick, right? Because sick also gives me attention and I can kind of do what I want if I am ill or, or weak in that. Um, it also comes with, you know, people may spend, you know, to find ways to really get their needs met because they don't have the capacity, right, to be vulnerable and say, I don't feel seen by you. I feel lonely. I feel totally overwhelmed. I don't know what to do with these kids. Um, What we had, we don't have anymore. One of the things, you know, that you and I had at the beginning was conversation and attention. And what do you do when you have four kids? You don't have conversation and attention anymore. You have busy and you crash when it's bedtime. Yeah, there's nothing like those old companionship-laden moments where you can look over and say, oh my God, my vulnerability factors are so high. But maybe that's exactly what should be happening. In those 10 minutes that you've got at the beginning of the week or the end of the week, right between the moment where you you lay your head on your pillow and you start to phase out. Maybe it's a good moment to look over and say, oh, my vulnerabilities are so high right now. I really am feeling overwhelmed. I really am feeling exhausted. I really am feeling hungry in this moment. I'm feeling achy. I'm feeling grouchy. That becomes perhaps the moment when you can show yourself. And it doesn't have to be a big ordeal. It doesn't have to lead to a fight because you're not blaming anyone. You're not actually saying, well, this is your fault, damn it. You're just saying, This is my experience of the world. We recently had a conversation in which you asked me a question. You said, hey, is there something going on between us? It doesn't seem like we're really connecting here. I don't really feel you. And I took a minute and what I did was I was trying to think of those vulnerability factors. I was trying to think like, maybe that's true. I want to check the facts for myself. What's actually happening? And when I pulled back the layers 
I realized there were all these elements of my life. I was trying to make our kids happy. It was spring break. I was trying to be thoughtful to a friend. I was trying to balance work life. I was trying to be thoughtful of money. And my brain was somewhere else. And what did that do? That made me not available to you and really not give you the attention. So you had many thoughts about why that was. And when I slowed down, it could explain those vulnerability factors. That's why I was disappearing. I was caught in my thoughts and responsibility, worries and fear. And it made sense. It was no longer personal. It didn't feel good still. It wasn't like it cured anything, but it also brought compassion to the conversation. And that's what these things can do. Sometimes in the middle of our fights, if I pull back and think, oh, this might have nothing to do with you. There is something that happened earlier today and you didn't know about it. So if we have this tool and we can look at who we are in the world and see what's impacting us, it can greatly impact our relationship and how we function together. You're really talking about making the unconscious conscious. The things that are going on, the things that are as plain as day, the degree to which we are locked in the bullshit prison of our mind with all of its stories and all of its thoughts and all of its perspectives that it makes up about what is going on right now without sufficiently addressing what is is the degree to which we are trapped and locked out of our power. And so by simply stepping into a descriptive space and beginning to describe to each other, well, this is what's going on for me. And this is what's going on for you. We give each other a lot of freedom, a lot of power suddenly to begin to shift and adjust what we need to relationally. Again, if this, if this is something that you do routinely, and I think we try and do it, quite often, uh, just check in and say, well, here's what's going on for me. Here's the vulnerabilities I'm under. If you do that routinely, you're not having to catch up and, you know, say, okay, here's the vulnerability factors of the last two years, because that becomes an avalanche of new conversation. That becomes the next vulnerability factor, right? That you're having to sort through and weed through. And Oh my God. So you keep your lines short on that. You're reporting. You know, that might be like a week-to-week thing. It might even be a day-to-day thing. It's as often as you're noticing it. And then you don't have to take it personally. You go, oh, this is what they're going through. And you can validate it. At the end of the day, vulnerability factors becomes a lens through which we can better understand what is contributing moment to moment to moment. And it allows some change technology too. For instance, If I understand that I'm not getting great sleep and part of what's going on is I'm arguing constantly with my partner, well, getting great sleep now becomes a new priority between us. If I understand that I lack physical exercise and my body is becoming sedentary and bloated and, you know, I'm atrophying in my muscles and I am at the same time unhappy and bored and distracted and engaging habitually addictive behaviors. I might reasonably make the uh, correlation and say, I need to start moving my body again. Similarly, if I begin to see 
that I have a number of emotional events that are occurring in my life that I'm not thoroughly exfoliating. And I feel simultaneously tired, sad, exhausted, angry at my partner, all these different things. It's probably time to talk about it. I don't have to be a victim anymore. I can really look at how life is impacting me and how I'm impacting life and my relationships. I can be proactive. I think that's the gift of vulnerability factors is I get to take responsibility of my life and look at it and how the things that I'm participating in are impacting me and those around me. It's a great tool for relationships. It's a great tool for us and our businesses and the things that we do. It's I no longer am being acted upon. I can see how the things in my life are impacting me and how I show up all the time. Which gets us back to the present moment. I'm not achy anymore, but I'm still grumpy and exhausted. You are a little grumpy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think we should probably call it there. Let's regroup and let's talk about more later when my vulnerability factors aren't so high. And I'll be patient and I understand. All right. See you later, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Love Like Hell. We appreciate your support so much. Listen, would you do us a small favor? If you love the show, will you leave a fabulous five-star review? And don't forget to share this with all your friends. Okay. Well, until next week, I'm Rainier. And I'm Christy. Live like mad and love Love like like hell. Love like hell. That that was my signature. (sighs) 